This week, I interviewed an amazing college student who was an inspiring young woman about financial feminism, navigating college debt-free, as well as money mindset. We also touched on the importance of investing and why self-trust is a form of self-love. Listen in to hear her story and get some great tips. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I am so excited to be interviewing Miracle Olatunji. She is a college student, entrepreneur, public speaker, and the author of Purpose, How to Live and Lead with Impact. She's the founder of Opportunity, a digital media and education company which empowers the next generation of leaders to develop life, leadership, and career skills. Miracle founded Opportunity when she was just 17 years old and has helped thousands of emerging leaders as they pursue their personal and professional goals in the digital age. She's also building Her Wallet Media, a platform to help women build their net worth, network, and self-worth. I love it. I'm so excited to have you here, Miracle. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Melanie. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you. And I love that you are doing so much as a young person. I know I think back when I was 21 and I was just in school, confused, trying to figure out life. And you have accomplished so much, especially with your personal finances and and you're already so interested in finance. And so, you know, you're studying it at Northeastern University. And I'm curious, what initially got you into finance? Yeah. So um, when I was 17, my mom and I went to this workshop called Women Empowered to Financially Thrive. And this was when I got first exposed to the world of finance and the world of personal finance at that. And so it opened my eyes to a lot of the inequalities that women face when it comes to personal finances. It was at that workshop that I learned about the wage gap. And then I also learned about another gap that isn't really talked about as much, which is the investing gap. And so as I did more research, I essentially was becoming a financial feminist the more that I read um, about these disparities. And I wanted to be able to like do something to not only change my finances, but change the finances of the other women in my life and just like talk about money more. Um, And like as I explored more about the space, I realized just like how male dominated it is. The first book I read about personal finances was actually Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was a really good book. And it actually helped me to like start working on my own money mindsets and also start thinking about things like financial independence and financial freedom. And like, what do those things mean to me? So that's kind of how I got interested in to this world of personal finance. I love that you mentioned the term financial feminist. I think that is so amazing. As people may or may not know, I also started Lola Retreat, which is a women and money event that It's currently on hold because of COVID, but I also am interested in empowering women with their money because it's something that is so important. I think right now we are in a unique point in history where women are earning more than ever. You know, they weren't even allowed to have a credit card until 1974, let alone, you know, their own bank account and getting approved for a loan. And so there's so much that is just new territory for women and money. And I think it's so important that we understand how to earn more, how to ask for more, how to invest that money that we do make and make it work for us. Yes, exactly. And it's just even more alarming too with like last year, there was a she session where like a lot of women were like kind of moved out of the workforce due to COVID. And so there's even more disparities that need to be addressed. Totally. Yeah. This past year has just done a number on women's finances and it's so, you know, disgraceful and awful to think about. And I hope that we can get some relief because, 
women are taking on the childcare burden, there's already the gender pay gap. And it seems like there's so much to choose from, you know, whether I can take care of my child or go back to school. And it seems like a lose-lose situation. And, and that's all the more reason why we need financial support, not just from ourselves individually as part of education, but also in a systemic kind of way. Yes, exactly. I love that you are so interested in this at such a young age and you are so wise beyond your years. I love it. And, you know, I know you're still in school, but you told me that you are graduating debt-free next year, which is so amazing. I took out $81,000 in student loans to go to school and it took me a long time to pay it back. And, you know, I don't regret it because it led to this (laughs) weird new career that I have and led to a new life, but it was extremely difficult to pay back student loans. And so I'm so curious for anybody listening out there that may be a young person or that may have a child who's interested in going to college, how were you able to accomplish going to school and graduating debt-free? Yes, honestly, I will start off by saying it is truly a blessing. And I I recognize the privilege that's within that because the student loan debt in this country is is really big. And I feel like not a lot of people can say this. Um, So I feel, first of all, like really blessed and grateful. So my story with this is when I wanted to go to um, colleges and I was applying in my senior year of high school, I told my parents that I wanted to go outside of state. I did not want to go to my state school, University of Delaware. I kind of just wanted to branch out and get a different experience. Um, I really wanted to go to a college in a big city like Boston or New York, but I also knew there was like a big price tag that came with that. And so when I mentioned it to my parents, they're like, we support you. However, you have to find a way to finance it. So that was when I started um, looking and seeing what I could apply to in terms of scholarships and grants. So I applied to, I remember the first scholarship I applied to, it was called the Cameron Impact Scholarship. And I was really excited about this one because it was a full tuition. So I was like, if I can get this scholarship, I'm set. And so I did all the essays. I had my recommendation letters from my counselor, from my teacher, and I just like polished my resume and everything. And I got rejected. (laughs) So that was my first big rejection from scholarship. And I thought in that moment, like I have two choices here. Like I could just like give up and you know, not be able to go to the school of my dreams, or I could keep going. And so I chose to keep going and I made this spreadsheet. And so in the spreadsheet, I put all these different scholarships, ranging from $200 to some of them like 20k, um, and just put them all in there and like track their deadlines and everything. And I was just every week applying to scholarships every week without fail, until I was able to get enough that I needed. And even when I started, I still needed a little bit more money. So I Throughout the college years that I've had so far, I've been doing a lot of side hustles and part-time jobs, including like working at the Financial Literacy Center at my university. Um, I've been a note taker for different classes on campus. Like I'll take notes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So like I did that and then like public speaking. And then also another way that you can make money is through doing research studies. So I would like sign up for all these research studies. Um, usually they were just like, they'd ask you a series of questions or send you a quiz about like your health habits or something. So that was another way that I was like making money while I was um, also going to school full time. So that's kind of how I have been able to like accomplish this goal of graduating debt-free. That is so amazing. I love that you were so determined to get a ton of scholarships. And it just sounds like you made getting a scholarship your full-time job. And you're definitely still working to offset the costs that aren't met by the scholarships. And it's so funny that you've mentioned doing research studies, because I actually remember being at NYU and participating in one of the medical studies, because I was like, oh, it's like $30 an hour or something, or 70. I forget what it was. But it was going to be a multi-series study. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And like the first study, it was something to do with psychology and vision and memories. And I had to like watch this thing. And something about me is that I am very sensitive and get motion sickness very easily. And basically I was like, oh, I feel nauseous. And basically that disqualified me from the rest of the study. And they were like, here's your money. Bye. I was like, oh, no, I was thinking I was going to be part of this whole series. And then I got like sick and I couldn't participate. But I was still happy to have that cash for that day. And so research studies is definitely something that you can do. And I love that you mentioned taking notes as a side hustle. I think there's so many different things that you can do nowadays, especially online. 
and especially at colleges. And that's so amazing that you're working at the Financial Literacy Center at your school. Yes, that was such a great opportunity. And I remember when I first found out about it when I was touring campus, I was like, wow, this is so amazing. Like they have this whole center. I mean, before COVID, um, people would go and have events at the center and like talk about all different topics like budgeting. Um, The signature event that we hosted was called Boston on a Budget. And so usually people would come and learn about like ways they can save money on food and clothes and in Boston. So it was just a really cool experience and helped me to like further my knowledge about personal finances and meet some really cool people. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. I know. Actually, I was thinking one of the ways that I saved a ton of money in college is probably not available right now. Like I used to go to every single event at NYU and get the free food and free wine. And I'd be like, this is dinner. (laughs) And I'm thinking like, oh man, I wonder like that's probably not happening with COVID. And that was like a huge part of my like cost savings was just go to all these Mm -hmm. events, meet new people, have the cheese and crackers and fruit and wine and call it dinner. (laughs) Yes, that's major because like, We even had um, someone made an app. This was before COVID, like you're saying, but people would make apps and like post on the app and say, oh, like this club just had an event. Here's some free food in the student center or wherever it was. So that's definitely (laughs) a great way to save money. (laughs) Love it. Love it. So awesome. Well, you have accomplished so much in your young life, which I think is amazing. I'm sure your parents are so proud of you. And you know, I want to talk a little bit more about your personal story. I know that you are a first-generation immigrant from Nigeria, and you have mentioned that there were a lot of mindset shifts that you had to deal with, you know, coming to America and being an immigrant, dealing with school, dealing with money. You know, can you share a little bit more about some of those mindset shifts that you had to deal with, both, you know, navigating life and finance here? I would say the first one that I really had to shift, especially over the past few years, is this idea that investing is too risky. And I think when we talk about generational wealth and we look at things like inflation and, you know, we can't really achieve generational wealth by simply like putting all of our money in a savings account. That's something that I had to learn and also like share with loved ones as well, because even though a savings account seems safe. At the end of the day, it's actually not as safe as we might think. Um, but it, I just want to also preface that it's important to have an emergency fund. And then from there, once you have your emergency fund built up, then investing for your future, because that's how you're able to like build wealth for the next generation. So that's one major mindset that I had to shift around investing. And also the notion or this fact that like time in the market is more important than timing the market because you can never really fully do that. So that's something that I had to learn also. And then also I feel that given that money is such a personal topic, there's a lot of um, shame and feelings of just discomfort around the topic. And that's something that I've had to like also deal with in terms of my mindset and be more comfortable and open with talking about personal finances and also understanding like how to manage anxiety around money. I know when I first started college, like I was a little bit anxious about like, will I be able to support myself in this big expensive city? And so I really had to like, just have these conversations with friends and family openly. And then also one thing that I've also been thinking about in terms of like, you know, being a woman and managing my own personal finances is like how to be more independent and just make sure that I have like, I'm settled for myself and just have my own assets and accounts and everything. So that's what I always tell other young women too, is just like having your own assets as well. Yes, it's so important to have your own money to be able to manage any kind of situation. You know, I think we're no longer in the generation where women are getting supported by men or, you know, we have such different relationship dynamics right now. And and that's what I was saying earlier is that right now, there's more breadwinning women, there's more women choosing to be, you know, mothers without having familial support. And it's like, how can we navigate these unique situations that we haven't seen in history from a financial standpoint? And I think it's really important for women to be able to save their own money so that if they want to have a child with or without a man, they can do that. If they want to just travel the rest of their life, they can do that with or without a man. If they want to get married, they can do that, but feel secure that if something were to happen, because let's face it, close to 50% of marriages dissolve and end up in divorce, they'll walk away and they'll be okay. 
And just, you know, shout out to prenups. Want to mention the episode <laughs> on love and money with Aaron Lowry. You know, that's also a very important topic that I think is taboo. And, you know, I love that you mentioned the importance of investing, like investing young and investing often is so important. Like it really doesn't matter how much, but really depends on the time. Like, you know, I've seen so many articles again and again and again that show you the difference between starting to invest when you're 25 compared to 30, 30 compared to 35. And the difference is just remarkable. And I wish I would have really taken action sooner. I do actually regret that I did not start investing until I paid off my debt when I was 31. And, you know, that felt like the right decision at the time. But now in retrospect, I'm like, ah, I lost out on all of those years that I could have been building compound interest, even if it were, you know, just $20 a month or something. Right. And, you know, I think about that and it's like, we, we all have to accept our, our past money mistakes and, and move on and try to figure out what we want to do next. But really having your money in the market for the long haul is what will build wealth in the long term. Definitely. And I love that you acknowledge the mistakes, like money mistakes. I feel like that's something that we shouldn't be ashamed about because I think that we actually learn more from our mistakes than what we do right. For me, one of my big mistakes when I started investing was I kept hearing like open up a Roth IRA to be an investor. So I opened up a Roth IRA and I thought, boom, I'm an investor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for the longest time, I didn't realize you have to actually go then and pick the stocks and pick yes. the ETFs and the index funds. Like, I think that's a major mistake that I've, I'm now like not afraid to admit because it's a common one. And I learned a lot from it. <laughs> Actually, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I actually made the same mistake. So (laughs) talking about investing, like there's so much jargon. There's so many different terms that are confusing to understand. Like I remember getting started with investing and like I opened up, I think a Vanguard account and I put my money in there and I was like, great, cool. And then I remember like six months later, maybe four months later, I log in and I'm like, that's weird. Like my money seems to be like the same amount. Like it didn't grow at all. Is this how the stock market works? And then I realized it just said like cash settlement account. And I was like, wait, is this not actually invested? And similar to you, I was like, oh my God, this is just like a holding account before you actually invest. And so I literally had to email my friend, Robert Farrington from the College Investor, who I used to write for many years ago. His site is great, by the way. And I was like, you have to help me understand, like, how do I get started with investing? Like, how do I actually buy ETFs? Like, when it tells me, like, is it a market order? Is it like, what is it? What what are the codes? Like, I literally was like, just tell me what to do, because I don't know what to do. And he walked me through the process. And I'm so grateful. And it's like, I think about all the situations in my entire life, everything I've ever learned about finance. And it's like, there's never been a situation where someone has even come close to sharing that information with me where it's like, here's how to actually go in the back end of a brokerage and actually buy ETFs, buy index funds. And (laughs) I'm glad it was only a couple of months that I made that mistake. But I've actually heard of people who, you know, they think they're going to be retiring at like 60 something and they log in and they realize their money was never invested. And that is just like, so incredibly heartbreaking. So definitely everybody listening, check your investments, make sure they are actually invested and not in like the cash settlement account, which is basically just like a holding account before you actually invest it. Because a lot of people have made that mistake, both Miracle and I have, and many, many others. So just want to make sure that your money is actually being actively invested. And it's like, yeah, that was a huge mistake. But yeah, I learned so much. And I was like, okay, now I check my investments every month. I buy index funds every month. I make sure that I'm really on top of those things because I don't want to be in that situation ever again. And even though I did get a late start on investing, I'm trying to double down and reach my net worth goals and move forward. And you know, it's really important to acknowledge your money mistakes, but also forgive yourself And just say that, you know, you were doing the best that you could at the time. Like, you know, obviously I wish I could go back to 25 year old self and be like, start investing, but that didn't happen. And if I keep thinking about that, then I'm really, that's a misuse of my time. 
to continue to, to worry or to continue to berate myself because I didn't make the right decision. Where I can spend my time is proactively and say, I'm going to continue to invest. I'm going to continue to work harder to make more money so I can invest more so that I can catch up and reach my net worth goals and, and build wealth. Exactly. And also, Melanie, another thing that I really love about the stock market and investing is that we're always constantly learning. And even just a few weeks ago, when there was a correction with like growth stocks and tech stocks, like in that moment, like in those few weeks, I learned so much, like the difference between value versus growth. And I also learned about like, you know, having at least a little bit of your money in cash ready to like deploy for all of these sales. Like when all these really good companies go on sale, you're able to like take advantage of that and like dollar cost average in. So um, there's just every week, I feel like there's a new lesson (laughs) that I learn in the stock market. Yeah, for sure. It's such a great teacher. And, you know, I think it can be intimidating for a lot of people. But if people can look at that challenge in the eye and say, I'm going to learn this, and I'm going to master this, because it's something that will help me build wealth in the long term. And, you know, I think that's something that I've wanted to do with Lola Retreat and also the Mental Health and Wealth Show is really try to make this accessible to people so that money is not just an all white boys club, an old all boys white club, right? Like, we don't want to think about those are the only people getting rich. And, you know, I know some people have weird, icky feelings with the idea of being rich. But if you set those money mindset issues aside, like money is power, money is choice, money is freedom. And so and you can support your values and live the life that you want when you do have that money coming in. That is so true. It's not like, I just love your mindset about that because I think for me personally, wealth, when I think about wealth and like finances, it's not really just about the money. It's more of the freedom and what you can get with the money by having that security and just like having that independence, like you can go on that trip, you can have more freedom over your time and how you spend it and who you spend it with. So I think that's just like what makes money so powerful and life changing. Yeah. yeah, that actually reminds me of the episode that I just recorded a couple of weeks ago with Ken Honda, who's the author of Happy Money. He actually semi-retired when he was 29 to be a stay-at-home dad with his child. And, you know, a lot of people looked at him like, what are you doing? Like, you're you're not working right now, but he had enough money saved so that he could afford to do that. And I thought that was so beautiful because, as I mentioned in that episode, he was using money, you know, a resource that is limitless that you can earn more of to buy time, which is a resource that is finite. There's only a certain amount of time and you can't get that time back. And so I'm a huge fan of using money to buy time because time is something that we can't ever get back. And I know when I was paying off my debt, I spent seven days a week for five years working all the time and it was exhausting. I, I barely had a social life and it definitely affected my mental health. And, but I'm, I'm glad that I did that so that now I know I never want to do that again. And so mm-hmm. I have the time now to work on projects like this and to do Lola retreat. Like if I were never debt free, I would have never had this podcast. I would have never had Lola retreat. Like I would never have been able to move back to California from Portland. Like it gave me so much power and freedom to actually make the choices that I wanted. And, you know, when I moved from New York to Portland, like I really didn't want to do that, but I felt like I had to financially. And it was because of my debt. And when you feel like your life choices are being made for you because of your money, I mean, that's when you know you have to make a change because there's nothing more miserable than feeling like you're stuck in a situation, you're stuck in a life you don't even want because of money. Exactly. So I know that you are big into building generational wealth. And I know we touched on that topic a little bit before, but I'm curious, like, how are you building generational wealth right now? And why do you think it's important? Yes. So the way that I'm building generational wealth right now is through investing. And it's a combination of like consistently educating myself about investing and then taking that knowledge and actually applying it to my own investments And then also bringing my family into it. Like I'm super excited about investing and I love getting other people excited about it too. So starting with my siblings, my parents, my friends, 
And as I'm building her wallet media, like more women getting invested and excited about investing because it really is exciting to build wealth for your future and the next generation. And why I think that generational wealth is important. And we talked uh, talked about this a little bit when it comes to like systemic issues. I believe there's a lot of systemic barriers that have held people back in this country. And so I mm-hmm. think that in order for us to be able to get towards more equity and equality in the world, like generational wealth is so important. And one of the resources and some of the resources that I use, like I listen to podcasts, I read books, I watch YouTube videos. And then I'm also part of different communities that are people just openly talking about investing. And these are just like ways for me to continue my learning outside of school. I mentioned that I study finance. I will say that um, the focus of the curriculum is more on corporate finance. And so I have to sort of supplement my education through these external resources that have been really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then last month, um, there's a venture capital fund. It's called Backstage Capital. Oh, from Arlen Hamilton. I love her. I love her. She is so inspiring. And so last month they opened up their fund so that everyday people can invest using this platform called Republic. And I remember like being so excited. I put a little bit of money into that investment and I'm like, this is what I want to do. Like, I know we talked earlier about like how money is freedom and you have the options to like do things that you love and contribute to things that you love. And so for me, like being able to support this fund that's investing in people, women, people of color who are often underestimated in entrepreneurship and in tech, I was like, this is the kind of thing that I want to do. Like money is power and we can use money to do good. So I think that with generational wealth, there's a lot of great benefits to like uplifting people and then also just like securing our futures as well. Yes, I love that you mentioned securing our future and kind of bringing that equity issue back to the forefront. And I also think that goes back to kind of what you were talking about earlier about there being a lot of shame around money. So I think there's a ton of shame and guilt around money because we think that a lot of these things are personal failures. And really, a lot of things are very systemic. Like, I really want everyone to realize that wages have been stagnant for like decades, decades. Wages have been stagnant for decades and healthcare has skyrocketed. Education has skyrocketed. Childcare has skyrocketed. So the playing field is already not level. And so, you know, us being able to build wealth through investing and through generational wealth, that is our personal attempt to try to level the playing field as much as possible. Obviously, I hope that there will be more government interaction. You know, currently the American Rescue Plan just got signed into action, which I think will be really helpful, especially for parents. And that's, you know, one step forward. But it's really important that we try to level that playing field for people and and have that equity portion so that money is something that is accessible and it's not just seen as this personal thing where it's like, if you don't have your money together, if you're in debt, then you're a failure, then, you know, you're stupid. And it's like, yes, there's personal responsibility. There's things that you need to know, but we have to look at it at the larger context as well. Exactly. We need to give ourselves more compassion. I always like to say that investing in your future is an act of self-love, but part of self-love is self-compassion and understanding that there are some factors that have come to us as a result of things that are not our fault, like history, like systemic oppression, like those things are things that are outside of our control, but we do have control of our future. So with investing and through working on building generational wealth, in a way we're taking control of our own futures. And I think that's just such an empowering thing to keep in mind. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited that you mentioned that investing is a way of um, building self-love and is an act of self-love because actually I was just thinking about this the other day. So backstory of for people that have probably listened to the um, past episodes like I was in therapy for three and a half years on a deep healing journey of like self-love trying to find myself figure myself out and a lot of it was learning how to love myself and you know at the beginning of that therapy journey it was so difficult but you know now that I am on the other side I've figured out self-love and what I thought self-love was and what it actually is are two different things. Like I thought self-love was like this kind of fake confidence, this like feeling amazing about myself all the time and like 
being super confident. And that's not what it is at all. Like for me, self-love is me taking care of myself the best that I can, being compassionate and knowing that I can get through anything in the future because I love and trust myself. And so when you mentioned that investing is an act of self-love, I thought about, oh my gosh, yeah, it is. Because when you invest, you're building wealth. And that is the money that if shit hits the fan, you can use that and you know you'll be able to take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. I love that. I absolutely love that, Melanie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to share. Thank you so much. Like, honestly, I I think it's such a great coincidence that I'm actually in therapy too, working on self-love. And Mm -hmm. um, there's this resource that I've been using called Self-Love Workbook for Women. And it's all about teaching how to release self-doubt, to build self-compassion and just embrace who you are and just learn to trust yourself. I think there's this quote, um, and I apologize, if, I apologize if I butcher it, but it says basically that our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And sometimes I think like it can be scary to like really step into our power, but it can be such an empowering thing to do as well. So um, I just, I'm really grateful for you to sh- for sharing that because I think that self-love is just so important. Ah, uh, yes. And I, I love that you mentioned that too. And as I mentioned, I really think what we think of self-love and what it actually is are two different things. Like I think self-love gets a bad rap with its marketing. It needs a rebrand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, we got to really think about the the real question is, why don't I love myself? Or like, why don't I have enough self-love? And I think part of that is also systemic too. It's like, Women in particular, since we are born, are bombarded with images of what we should look like, what we should act like, you know, what we should aspire to be. And it's like when we don't fit in these nice, pretty, neat boxes, then we start doubting ourselves and we start feeling like we're different, like we don't fit in, like we're not good enough, like we're not pretty enough, like we're not thin enough, you know, insert whatever you want. But it's like we've had the power all the time. And You know, I think I've mentioned this before, but like one of my favorite movies of all time is The Wizard of Oz. And the reason is, you know, all of the characters are going on this journey to find something. They want to find a heart. They want to find courage. They want to find their way home. And then, you know, at the very end, Glinda the Good Witch says, you've had these things all along. She just, you know, says you've had them all along. (laughs) And it's just like such a beautiful metaphor to be like, oh, my gosh, like this is what so much of life is about. Like we already have these things inside of us and we go searching for all these things externally and elsewhere through other things, through other people. And we've had these tools the whole time, but we just need to unleash them. And that can also require a lot of therapy, a lot of self-work, dealing with trauma, you know, a whole bunch of things. But once you're able to do that work, it's amazing the insights that you can have. Can you share a little bit about your therapy experience, how it's going, like how you got started? Yes. So I started going to therapy the beginning of this year. And last year, as you know, was kind of a chaotic year. And also, I feel like the silver lining in 2020 was having time to just sit down and reflect and think about, you know, personal life, career, relationships, everything. Um, mm-hmm. And so during the course of the year, I thought about what are some areas that I really want to improve upon. And one of the ones that popped out to me was I really want to make some progress on my self-love journey and also just focus more on wellness. I think as um, people who are very ambitious and go-getters, it's very easy to like forget to focus on things like our emotional health, which I have learned is just so important. And one of my goals for this year is actually to prioritize that more. So I started going to therapy and I mentioned the workbook that I use with my therapist. And there's just some really great exercises that we've done together. One of my favorites was writing a love letter to ourselves. And Mm. there was one where you write a love letter to yourself. And then one where you write a love letter to your body, because I understand like body image is a really big factor when it comes to like, you know, a challenge for self-love. And so inside, it's just like some of these exercises, I will admit, like they go in, (laughs) they really have you (laughs) thinking a lot about, you know, the past you and the future and like the kind of person, the kind of woman that you want to become. 
And so it's just, it's been a really great experience. And I highly love, like, I really love therapy and actually like look forward to the sessions because it's always so enlightening for me. So I'm really glad that like the stigmas around mental health are starting to be reduced. And I hope that continues more because, you know, I think that everyone can benefit from therapy in some way. It can really help you. And I've really enjoyed it personally. I totally agree. I think everyone should be in therapy at some point in their life. And it doesn't need to be, you know, a crisis moment. It can be just because you want to talk to an unbiased third party and to heal yourself. And it's like so many of us just live our life on autopilot and we're dealing with trauma responses that are unconscious. And we have these emotional landmines and triggers that we don't even question, but then they wreak havoc on our lives and we don't realize that there can be a better way. And for anybody that's interested in either starting therapy or they might be in the middle of their journey, I just want to mention that when you are in the middle of therapy and you are digging deep, as you were talking about, (laughs) there are going to be times where it is so hard and you feel like you're not making progress and you feel like you're just processing grief and trauma. Like I went to therapy for every week for three and a half years. And a lot of people will probably know that it was, you know, at the onset of the dissolution of my nine year relationship And we lasted five months in couples counseling. And then I went to individual counseling and it took me years and years to process that end of the relationship and figure out how to stand on my own two feet again and figure out my issues and all that kind of stuff. And for the first year and a half out of three and a half years, I felt like I was just making the same mistakes again and again and again. I was like, I needed therapy, but I felt like I wasn't going anywhere. And you know, it took a lot of work for me to finally just accept what she was saying and do what she was recommending. And that resistance is because change is hard. And kind of like what you were mentioning earlier about, you know, your past self, like a lot of things come up, like when you're in therapy, and you are evolving, you do have to actively grieve that past self. And you have to have compassion, as you mentioned, like, I think about some of the things I did early on after the breakup in those first you know, year or two. And I'm just like, so beyond embarrassed of some of the things that I have done. And it's like, oh my God, I was such a hot mess. And I can say that now being on the other side in a healthy place, but it took so much work to get to that place. And obviously once I was able to heal, I had to grieve that person that I was. I had to forgive that person for doing some of these dumb things and say, that's who I was, but that's not who I am now. And I was dealing with a lot of trauma and you know emotional responses from a very long time. And I had to figure out healthier coping mechanisms. And that's what therapy helped me do. Like therapy completely helped me have healthier coping mechanisms, helped me stand on my own two feet again, helped me on the self-love journey so that no matter what happens, who comes in my life, comes out of my life, I'm going to be here because you know what? We're we're our longest relationship. So, you know, we <laughs> need to so love right. ourselves <laughs> because uh, we're going to be here <laughs> till the end. Exactly. So, Imagine being like married to yourself, like make it fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. The longest relationship that will ever last. I I really appreciate that you mentioned this, this question that I feel like I personally have struggled with this too, which is like, I find myself saying, am I even making any progress? Like, you know, am I even moving forward? Is this working? And I just want to encourage anyone listening that the healing process isn't linear there's definitely going to be ups and downs and that's okay. Like, I think we just need to focus more on giving ourselves the grace and compassion to just be human because it's okay. And I just want to let people know that they're not alone in this journey. Yeah, totally. Like healing is absolutely not linear. And like the first little bits of progress, you're probably not going to even notice because it's going to be so small. Like Here's an example. So a lot of people know on the podcast that I stopped drinking because it was one of my unhealthy coping mechanisms. Like whenever I was stressed out, I would drink. Whenever I was depressed, I would drink. And it never got to like a huge problem. But like obviously when you're just drinking when you're upset, that is not good. 
And so I remember it was so hard for me to break that habit. And I was like, how can I break this habit? It feels so hard. And I kept trying. And then I remember one day I had a stressful experience and like that initial kind of trigger reaction was like, I should go drink. And then I had this moment where I was like, but I don't need to. And then I I remember that moment so clearly because it was the first time in my healing where I was like, oh my God, I think I'm actually not going to do it this time. Like, I think I'm strong enough right now to be like, okay, I had the urge, but an urge doesn't mean you have to do it. Right. Right. And so I, I, it was such a beautiful moment. And I remember it so clearly because, you know, when you're in kind of those bad cycles, those toxic habits, it's so incredibly hard to break them, especially when they've been your patterns for decades. I mean, ever since I was of drinking age, unfortunately, drinking was a huge coping mechanism for any life stressor. And so it was such a beautiful moment to just say, oh my gosh, I actually don't need to drink. And obviously it was kind of like building a muscle. Like I had the urge and then I didn't drink. And then the urges became less frequent. And then whenever I had the urge again, I would continue to not drink. And it was like a muscle being built again and again and again. And like, it was so wonderful to be able to transform my relationship with alcohol and be able to have that moment where you see your past self who would have made that decision to, oh yeah, I'm going to go drink a bottle of wine right now. And then you're not quite at your future self, but you're somewhere in the middle where you're like, but I'm not going to do it this time. That's like the first step is to not do it. Right. And so when you have those moments, like it'll be so beautiful and clear, but it can take a long time. Exactly. You just have to be patient with yourself. Yes. Be patient with yourself and, just continue the journey. And yes, healing is absolutely not linear. Like I think we all have this idea about life and success and healing that it's always just the next level and the next level and the next level. And it's like, that's not how anything in life works like ever. I don't know why we, we, we tend to think like, oh, we're just going to make more and more and more money as we get older. And we're just going to, you know, get better and better and better. And it's like, it's all just kind of a weird squiggly line and Mm -hmm. sometimes explosions and sometimes (laughs) flat lines. And (laughs) I mean, everyone has their own weird piece of artwork that is their Mm -hmm. healing. (laughs) Yes. We just have to own it because it's all beautiful and unique in its own way. Yes, yes. And that that is part of the journey. I mean, like, a lot of this stuff can be so difficult to deal with. But one of the things that I have appreciated, and I can, of course, say this being on the other side now, like, I probably wouldn't have said this when I was deep in it. But like, now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, that really is what life is about, is about feeling your feelings. And it's about dealing with the dark and the light. Because light is not light without dark. You know, you can't have intense moments of joy unless you've had intense moments of grief because you you wouldn't even know that, that is actually joy, right? You would just think of it at this, as this feeling. But because you have also known grief, then you know what the high of joy is. And so, you know, this is kind of what we're we're dealt with in life is that you get to experience both and you can't have one without the other, And so um, I remember in one of the episodes, gosh, I forget which one it was, but one of the quotes that just has stuck with me, I think, I think it was the grief episode with Emily Guy Birkin. She said, or maybe I said, (laughs) I don't remember, but grief is the price of love. Wow. And, you know, that was such a profound quote because it's like anyone that's ever dealt with heartbreak, you know, whether through divorce or through breaking up or through death. I mean, you know that that grief can be so immense, but that's that's the contract you you get into when you fall in love with somebody, you know, is that you can also experience that grief as well. And there's there's so many emotions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love that this conversation just like <laughs> I love that this conversation just like went totally somewhere else and I love it. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> that's like the beautiful thing about having a podcast is like I plan these questions then it's like oh but let's see where the conversation takes us 
yeah, let's talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned your healing journey and therapy. And yes, I hope that the stigma continues to dissolve and that as generations continue and the stigma goes away, that maybe we'll have a healthier society too. Like, that's what I'm excited for. Because I'm like, the more people in therapy, the more people will be, you know, healing. There's going to be less violence. There's going to be less trauma responses. Like, <laughs> you know, hopefully things will get better. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's my hope as well. I saw this quote where it says, there's a lot of people in therapy because of people who won't go to therapy. So like right? you said, I hope more <laughs> of us go. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I've seen that quote too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can think of all these people. <laughs> like, please, they should go to therapy. And I was like, should I passively aggressively send this meme? And I was like, no. <laughs> that that is petty old Melanie we don't do that anymore <laughs> it's just a thought it's just a thought you know <laughs> yeah that's another thing it's important to like realize like okay that's a thought but I don't need to act on it <laughs> act on it yep <laughs> so true so I wanted to end the interview and talk about um, what else do you want other people in underrepresented communities to understand both about mental health and wealth one thing I really want people who are also underrepresented to understand about mental health and wealth is the importance of financial wellness. On this journey towards independence and freedom financially, it's really important to practice things like self-care, self-love, maybe going to therapy, exercise, whatever it is that you do that helps you to have these um health and wellness practices and just really make them a daily habit or a weekly habit. I think that's just really important because I truly believe that our mental health is the foundation for everything and our mindset is the foundation for everything in life. So yes. that's something that I, I really want to share with other people. Yes, I love that and think I am in total agreement. Like our mental health is everything. And you know, yes, money is very important, but if you're not well enough to actually work, then you're not going to be able to make money. Like I've been depressed enough where I couldn't work. Like I've mentioned on the podcast before the year of my breakup, I was barely able to work and I lost like $20,000 worth of income because I was unable to work. And that happens to people all the time, like with grief, with depression, with mental illness, where people's livelihoods are at stake, you know, people people's ability to actually manage their money and do the right thing, like investing. Like it just seems like another job. And like when you're just trying to survive, all that stuff goes out the window. So that's why I am in total agreement with you that your mental health is so important because that's the foundation for your physical health. That's the foundation for your financial health. And they're all very intricately connected, all three of them, financial, physical, and mental and, you know, you have to really have mental as the sturdy foundation, which can then help you with the physical and then the financial. And if you do your best to take care of all three, it will honestly save you money over, you know, your life. Because obviously, if you take care of your um, physical health, hopefully you'll have fewer doctor visits, you know, less likelihood of disease, even though therapy and medication can be an upfront cost, like, hopefully it's helping you manage your life and continue forward. So, I mean, it's totally helpful in so many different ways. Exactly. And also I would say like, don't be afraid to start small. You know, um, it's just don't discount that because these small changes that you can make in your life can really have a big ripple effect. Um, I'm reading this book called Atomic Habits right now, and I'm really learning. Oh, I love it. It's such a good, it's such a good book. I literally just finished it. I just finished it like a month ago. Oh my goodness. I'm like halfway through it and I'm really learning the power of small actions. I think that it's really important. And even if you're only able to contribute maybe $20 to your investments and making investments every month, like that's still something to be proud of. And so I just want to let people know that you don't have to like start off big to be financially independent. Like you can start small with these small steps. One thing that my mom always tells me is that little drops of water make a mighty ocean. So that's something that I think about whenever I'm thinking about the small steps I need to take towards achieving my personal goals. 
And then lastly, um, I just want to share the importance of community and surrounding yourself with people who you can talk about money with. And what I've been finding is that there's a lot of great people in this community of like financial independence, financial wellness, who are just so open, like you, Melanie, like you literally mm-hmm. responded to a message from a complete stranger. I reached out and you were so <laughs> kind to like talk to me. So I would say to anyone listening, just don't be afraid to reach out to people in this community. Yes, find people that you can talk, you know, money with. And yes, to all things Atomic Habits. I love that book. Definitely recommend it. We will have it in the show notes. I think the main thesis of that book is that building the habit is the most important thing. Like we often think that we have to do these big sweeping changes, but really it's about these micro habits every day. You know, if you do one push up today, if you read one page today, if you save $1 today, that doesn't seem like a lot, but if you do it every day for 30 days, you've saved $3, you've read 30 pages. And then obviously it's kind of like you build up your tolerance and then you do more and more, but it's really about getting into that habit. It's like, as I was mentioning earlier about, you know, breaking the cycle of like having drinking be like a bad um, cycle and, and doing that as like a bad coping mechanism, you know, just like you have bad habits, like he mentioned in the book, you can have good habits too. They're just two different sides of the same coin. So it's like, okay, you have these bad habits. What are they? And you just have to kind of use replacement behaviors. What do I want to replace that with? So instead of drinking, I'll take a bath or I'll have a mocktail or I'll go for a walk, you know, or I'll go like dance to something silly on YouTube. And I'm all about like replacing your bad behaviors with good behaviors And then just keep it up because that routine will help you start something new. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And then also um, creating systems in place to be able to achieve your goals. So whether that's automating your savings or, you know, using a budgeting app, just having these systems in place that make it easier for you to achieve the goals that you want to achieve with your finances and also with your health as well. Yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. So where can people find you and connect with you? So I'm really active on Instagram at Miracle Latinji and on Twitter at Miracle Latinji. And then I am open to like connecting on email or chatting on the phone. So I'm really open to connecting to people on any platform. Love it. Amazing. Definitely connect with this young, amazing woman who is doing amazing things. I can't wait to see what you do and where you're going. And I'm so glad that we connected. So thank you so much for everyone listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. I hope you check out the show notes on mentalhealthandwealth.com. Also sign up for our newsletter where you can get our free money mindset worksheet. And definitely check out our upcoming events like the Mental Health and Wealth Hangout. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review and you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.